0: Hello and
1: welcome back to our podcast, Talking Their Language with Helen Bodell. We are really excited to bring a new episode for all of our lovely listeners. Today we welcome Denise Amamwa, who is currently working as a speech and language advisor on a project called the London EAL Project. Hello Denise, welcome to the show. That was a very short introduction. Would you like to introduce yourself properly to our listeners and tell them your education background and how you've come to work on this project?
0: Sure. Thanks so much, Helen. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, So I'll start with kind of my first role after uni. Well, I'll talk about what I did at uni. So I studied linguistics at UCL. Um, I've always been really interested in languages in general, Um, although I only speak English, which is another story in itself. I only speak English but I'm really interested in languages in general um, and after I completed my undergrad I knew that I didn't want to be a speech and language therapist so I got into kind of education role. So first I was a um, teaching assistant in year one. Mind you I really did not want to be in the lower key stage, I actually thought I wanted to kind of be in year six and help with transition, but then, um, I loved it. (laughs) And then they um, asked if I'd like to be a senior early years practitioner. And I loved that. So I was between nursery and reception. Um, and the area that I worked in was like 93%, uh, EAL. So that was amazing. And it was actually the nursery that I went to. So the school was right opposite my old house when I lived in Tottenham. Um, That was so fun. I learned a lot of Turkish there as well because I had to, um, to support the children. And um, then after that, COVID hit and I moved house. So I moved um, to Hainaut and I still wanted to teach and I managed to land a role as an early years teacher for a private company called Kido Home. So I was teaching students in Dubai and um, some in America as well. Oh, my gosh, the time difference. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> a lot. But, yeah, it was really hard working on Sundays as well. But it I, it was really, really fun. And all those children were multilingual as well. And so were their parents. And that was nice to work with um, just children and families from different cultures. So I really enjoyed that too. Was that a, was that Zoom, between...
1: Denise?
0: Was that, like, online teaching um, or...? Yeah, yeah, that was all online. They had their own system. It was great. Yeah. It was amazing. I loved it. And it still worked. There were children as young as two joining the sessions. I didn't teach two-year-olds, but um, my age group were called Pathfinders. So they were three to four. Okay. Um, yeah, I loved it. It was really oh, good. And yeah. they learned everything. So yeah, Brilliant. really fun. Um, and in, in between that, I've always loved research. So I've been kind of in and out of short um, research assistant kind of contracts as well and yeah then it landed me in this role as a speech and language advisor so I think I'm the only advisor that's not a therapist most of the team are speech and language therapists but I was brought on specifically to help with something called the London EAL project so um that means I go into um well, I work across two London boroughs. I go into the schools and help them to deliver the interventions. But we're also making changes based on what parents and practitioners feedback to us, so that it is accessible for kind of a more a more culturally diverse group of people, which
1: is great. Wow! Sorry, I've been speaking. So a lot. <laughs> well, that's amazing. So the London I love my job. Project. Yeah. Um. So when did that start, and is it going on for a long period of time? Is it? What sort of the end? So goal? there are kind of two.
0: There are two strands. Um, one of them is for TOTS Talking, which is a parent intervention um, um, for parents of one and a half to two and a half year olds, which is a really crucial time for parents to learn about um, language development and how important their home language is. So um, that's one strand. And that just ended in March um right, okay. 2023. Um, and then there's another part, which is Early Talk Boost. And um, that is going to end next year once we've got all the data in, because it's kind of big project lots of data to collect huge yeah
1: brilliant and then what and are they going to do We with basically that?
0: hope oh, that... No, that's that's what i was going to say so um we hope that all the revisions we've made will um be implemented in our standard intervention and then that's what's rolled out and that's what all schools get
1: oh fantastic that's amazing so will you carry on working on that project and going in with that research then to those schools
0: Yes. Yes, 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 that's exactly the plan.
1: Oh, that's so good, because you get to see it from the beginning right to the end then as well, don't you? Which is brilliant.
0: Yeah, and we get to see if things don't work or, or if I've misinterpreted what the parents meant. So it's really nice and flexible. Um, and I actually get to see the children's progress as well, which is lovely.
1: Yeah, but I've I've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old. So all that language development and everything, I'm oh. in that stage at the moment. So it's it's really interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really is such a crucial time as well. So I think it's great that we have something for parents specifically, as well as teachers Um, and even early talk booths, although it's for the children in um, the classroom, we do have um, a parent workshop at the beginning and parents are invited at the end to see their child's progress. So parents are heavily involved because they play such a big role. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I think that's one thing that schools, um, realize and understand now and they're sort of building on that as well aren't they getting the parents in and getting those involved in, in the language development which is really yeah. good yeah um well we've never had an early years practitioner on the show before so it's really excited to talk to you about working with young multilingual children in the early years sector and um, so what roles have you had in this sector and what can you tell us about how you've supported multilingual children at such an early age
0: sure well i feel like a little bit of an imposter because i i just was lucky and my um previous head teacher at the time gave me the opportunity to work as a senior early years practitioner but before then i didn't have much experience um with young children but it was amazing and um i mean because i because i'm so interested in linguistics and language (laughs) and literacy that's kind of the area that i led on so um something i would do is when we do our home visits um Just before the children start, I was really eager to find out what languages the children um, hear at home, even if they don't speak them. Because I think I told you that I only speak English, but I understand fully, actually, my mum's language, which is tree from Ghana. And I know that there are lots of receptive bilinguals. um, And... There are lots of actual situations where parents will tell us that they only speak English at home because they think that's the right answer that professionals are looking for. Well, it's not. We actually just want the truth so that we know how to best support their child at school. So that's something I really pushed. Um, and just kind of like um, pushing cultural diversity, um, having um, specific days where children could tell us about their culture so that they know that it's a good thing, it's something to be celebrated. Um and um, kind of doing small group language interventions, but not specifically targeting EAL children, just targeting children that need the support. Okay. That's just another thing um, kind world. of, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's something I've noticed that sometimes if a child is classed as EAL, they're just put in a group, but they might not need it because they might be fluent in English. So, for example, I was classed as EAL. And it felt a bit weird because I only speak English and yeah. I think I'm fluent. So, yeah, um, just kind of having those conversations across the team as well. So letting other um, practitioners kind of change their way of thinking as well as parents. That's That was kind of my biggest role yeah definitely (laughs) and then um of course after that was working as a early remote early years teacher
1: so the um language interventions with those students what did that sort of look like did you have a small group and what did you do in those interventions yeah
0: yeah so we would have a small group um we i'd i'd actually ask the children what they prefer because um that's the whole kind of early years ethos that we are child-centered so if we were even if it was to do with like numbers um, and if the ch- if the child really likes cars, then we'd make the numbers with the cars and we'd go outside and we'd use paint. I'd, I'm really big on um. I'm not creative myself, but I'm really big on letting the children decide how we do an activity, because if they're interested, then they're going to get the most out of it. That's what I think. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah as long as they're having fun, I'm happy.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. Um, No, I'm with you on that one as well. Definitely if they're involved and um they're enjoying it, that's the main thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's learning that social um, (laughs) language as well, isn't it? Using the use of play and
0: things like that. Yes, exactly, and that's the thing. Like, so there, there could be a child that's maybe just um, new to English, and in front of me, they're really shy. um, If we're doing like one-to-one work or small group work where it's kind of formal around a table, but when they are playing and having fun and outside and running around, and there are their friends are around they seem to be more relaxed. And that's the approach I wanted to have. And I think that's when you can make a more accurate observation of the child's language levels um, when they aren't aware that, oh my goodness, um, they call me Miss Denise. Miss Denise is watching me. Um, Just when they're in their natural environment. So yeah, that's something I learned as well. And it's really nice to see, um, for example, a a child that um, speaks Turkish as well as English. So the simultaneous bilingual helping the one that's newer to English, I love seeing that because it's like they've already taken on the role as an interpreter and they don't even know yeah, it. Yeah, it's amazing I think it's that, so cute.
1: isn't it? Did you do a lot of body systems? Yeah. Did you use that body sort of system quite a lot or was it just naturally? Um, it, it happened more naturally yeah. and the reason I didn't 100%
0: encourage that, or I, well, I, we didn't um, kind of push that, is because I remember when that happened to me and if you're a, if you're older and you're more aware you might not want to feel kind of othered if yeah. you are being told to be the buddy, yeah. if you know what I mean. Um, so we just allow it to happen naturally. Usually the children do anyway, but we just don't tell a child, th- um, you have to yeah, that do this because then process. they can be kind of not mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. Oh, that works really well. Um, so you've had some research roles surrounding the topic of languages and literacy Can you tell us about the research you've looked at and how that's impacted sort of your teaching practice going forward?
0: Um, Yes. Oh, my gosh, there's so much. Well, I think um, a big thing was realising how important um, um, professionals, teachers, how much they influence parents. Like, I was was quite surprised at that. And at the same time, for certain groups, how... um, their experience in their home country as i'm talking about the parents now how their experience in their home country has influenced them so it's kind of this two-way battle and that's what um led to my master's research i don't know know just just now yeah that'd be brilliant okay Okay, great. I'm I'm really bad at telling one story and then telling another story <laughs> in the story. So I'm going to try not to do that. But okay, so my master's research um, came about because as a speech and language advisor, um, I realized that, um, well, I just kind of saw a trend of lots of parents not wanting their child to speak their home language. And I noticed personally that a lot of the time they were from ex-colonies. So... Um, like Ghana, for example, or Singapore, or um, Nigeria, or Congo, for example. So I just thought, hmm, this is interesting. And then I ju- was just having a chat with like family, friends, and my mum, and things like that about their schooling experience. And yeah. I was quite um, sad to hear about the language attitudes that were um, kind of encouraged. So, yeah, getting in trouble for not speaking English at school um like being actually punished maybe physically or humiliated or oh, okay. some kind of psychological punishment yeah it was really upsetting and then it finally clicked for me that that's why some of the parents are so pro-english only yeah um but that doesn't mean that they're completely against it it just explains their way of thinking and if they're given the right information mm-hmm. then they can make an informed decision about what they want to do with their child if they want their child to be bilingual and lots of them do but um they also have all these myths around so I do a lot of myth busting yes exactly they don't want to be in trouble they think their child will um be negatively impacted um as in academically um they think their child might have an accent everyone has accents so um it's I spend a lot of time kind of dispelling those myths and something else that came out of my research (laughs) was that um specific well I looked specifically at um black african people from anglophone countries so african countries that were colonized by um british people um so um something that came out of that was that a lot of the practitioners actually didn't see their black african pupils as eal even if they were Bye, which okay. to me was yeah that was that was shocking to me but it's because of their level of english and because their parents always spoke english with the professionals so there was just a kind of a lack of knowledge um one of the practitioners said they just speak english there don't they and it's like no they're actually like hundreds of languages there but the parents are only speaking english to you because they think that's the right thing to do but um especially in the early years we have um such a great opportunity to change their way of thinking very quickly or um, encourage them to do what exactly it's it's a little bit harder if the parents hearing this pro-bilingualism message in when their child's in year nine yeah. <laughs> but if they're hearing it when their child's three years old that's a great time for them to kind of rethink so um yeah. yeah and lots of them do want their child to be bilingual and lots of them do want their child to have kind of strong um, familial ties and a strong cultural identity but they just but they've just heard some myths so i do a lot of myth busting
1: wow that's um that's fantastic research and it makes such an impact to those children doesn't it um and we know now don't we the importance of home languages and you know so many benefits to being multilingual which is you know needs to be shared doesn't it
0: exactly exactly
1: i i am i am you'll be really
0: surprised at how many people still believe these myths um they come from somewhere obviously especially if you're, you're you brought up in a country that was colonized for hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. the, the language attitude and practice has been passed down from generation to generation so it makes I understand why um some parents might think that way and I'm not saying all of them no, think no, no. That but um it's just a bit sad because then their child gets to like 12 and they're trying to teach them the language because they realize, oh no my child kind of doesn't really feel British and they don't really feel let's say guardian for example um they can't communicate with grandma back home and yeah so and it's like oh my gosh I wish you heard this message when their child was in nursery so that's what I try to do yeah
1: that's amazing wow um it's just crazy isn't it but like you say if it gets passed down and you've got to be the person that breaks that generational
0: yeah yeah. I am really obviously I only speak English but I am really um intentional about when I I have children I'd really need them to absorb hearing the language if it's through music um from other family members I'm definitely going to take lots of trips back home to Ghana because I'm literally seeing it die and it's so upsetting like across not just in Ghana as in with um, the next generation of Nigerians, the next generation of people from Ivory Coast, from Congo, and I'm I'm um, from an Anglophone country, people from Francophone countries like Congo that I think they, I'm pretty sure they were colonised by more than one place, so they've got French as their official language, and then they might have for Lingala, for example, as their home language, and then they've got English, so there are three languages competing and a lot of the time the parents just say, okay, we'll just speak English, which is so upsetting because uh, yes, their child uh, could be trialing. Yeah yeah wow and um that's another reason why with the Ghanaian schools that I support I really try and push them to look at their language policies to encourage um um well to discourage children being punished if they're speaking their mother tongue and to implement mother tongue education it's it's a bit challenging because even the parents there see English, the English language as kind of a tool for social mobility. So they don't wow. want their child to be hearing this language at school. They want them to speak English because that helps them. Well, they, they can see it. They, it helps them do better in life. The people that speak English are on TV. The people There are more, yeah. you're, you're more likely to find literature in Ghana that's in English than any indigenous language um that's also linked back to colonialism but i know it's it's so upsetting and this is another thing that lots of teachers here don't know these things yeah and um i've i've noticed as well if i'm looking for resources um i am very likely to find kind of spanish urdu punjabi turkish maybe even somali but nothing nothing for um africans from anglophone countries so yeah, I mean, maybe one day I should develop a training course or something. Oh, definitely. Yeah. definitely. Yeah, I'm so
1: passionate about <laughs> it as well, which is amazing. No, I didn't, yeah, I didn't um, know a lot of that either. That's really, really interesting. Like you say, it's shocking, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I'd love to um, develop uh, my master's stuff into maybe doctoral study yeah. at one point. Just, just to I do it, just to look at it further me? and have some evidence.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow. And our next question actually was to... Um, Hear about your experience giving back to those Ghanaian schools. Um sounds absolutely fabulous. How many times have you sort of been back and what work have you done in those schools? Oh, I don't
0: think I can count (laughs) how many times I've been back to Ghana, honestly. May well definitely over 10. I'm not sure the exact figure. But um so it actually happened because well, I've always dreamt of like supporting a school in Ghana. Um, I thought I was going to support a school in the capital because that's where we live, so that's easier. But um, I noticed they were very privileged. (laughs) And I am used to... I like supporting um, students, parents, schools that are in socially disadvantaged areas. That's my thing. So um, there was a death in the family. So we went to my granddad's village where he was born. And I just saw my granddad's school. It's like right opposite our family house, I walked in and I was so sad at um, just at the lack of resources, I would say, but the teachers and the teachers were so committed and the children were so engaged and they just seemed so happy. So I was probably coming in like maybe quite privileged um, and they were still just, there was so much learning going on. It was so great, but I knew that I could help them loads. And I actually, um, send lots of Twinkle resources there oh, wow. which you. they love yeah they love that they they didn't know about um Twinkle so yeah um so now it looks so much I can probably send you some before and after oh, photos that'd be so as well good. so I'd good I'd love now. to support
1: you with that as well definitely yeah. that'd be oh, brilliant
0: yeah that would that would be amazing so um the first thing I did is kind of I did some fundraising to renovate the school um because I well, my granddad, my grandma, sorry, said she doesn't think it's been touched since she was there. And she is 71. So um, we did some fundraising to renovate the school. Um, that drew a lot of attention from from the local, I guess we'd call them MPs, but over there they're called um, chiefs. Right. So the chiefs started looking at the area and it's like, probably thinking oh my gosh this is really embarrassing an external person has come to help us maybe we should do more and now they are so they've they've had um, more building blocks um the classrooms are bigger they're dividing the classes because they could there were like 40 to 50 children in a class previously and now there are about 20 wow, in each fun. class which is much it's better more manageable, yeah. um exactly um and then just um we have like reading competitions literacy is um Something that I'm really passionate about we're building a library um there are um there's also a push for books and literature that are written in Ghanaian languages um for the children to see that their language is something that's valuable it's not just kind of something you speak in the street as that's what the children will tell me which just breaks my heart because that's your identity I think um so yeah that's that's the kind of things that we do and um if I see any kind of training opportunities I send them to the head teacher and she passes them on to um teachers are interested and um there's another school now that I'm helping as well that's um uh, they call it KG so a kindergarten school um so it's just it just goes up to year one I believe Um, and I love that. It's so nice. It's so colorful and bright. And, um, we're also renovating there, giving them more toys and things like that. So I'm happy about that. Oh, that's
1: amazing. Is that close by to the other one? Is it like a feeder sort of
0: school or? Yeah, Yeah. it's not too far. It's the next town. So in a car, it might be like 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's so amazing. So, and and obviously that might then feed into the next school in the next town or it might sort of,
0: yeah, I hope, I hope it does. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. They have such a network. They they really know all the teachers in the region. That's something I've noticed, which is quite nice. Um, so hopefully they're passing this information on. Yeah. Um, I've also met a lot of kind of... Every time I go to the school... Um, or one of the schools, I meet someone else and then they're like, oh, what you? they're also a tourist or they're from America or Italy or something. And then they hear about it and they help the school, which obviously relieves my pressure a bit. <laughs> and um, it means that the children are getting um, more support in lots of different ways. So um, there's a lovely American lady that I met the last time. She's just donated lots of um, desks and
1: more comfortable chairs for the children, um, which is great. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, wow. That's um, that's amazing. I'd love to hear more about that. I could listen about that all day, Denise. I love things oh, like that.
0: <laughs> I could talk about it all day.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So do they have, uh, like, what sort of access do they have to network? Do they, like, phone each other? Do they have meetings? How does that work?
0: Um, and- they do a lot of face-to-face things which obviously doesn't work for me um they if we are having kind of a talk let's say about the renovation of the school it will be over whatsapp Um, that's just what they like They, they like a video call um i internet is very expensive in ghana like even for me i have days where i i will just be like okay i'm not using the internet today it's really expensive so i understand um why they're not always connected and honestly i think i think they're happier because they're not always connected to the internet they're they're just always talking to people and in person and having like face-to-face contact which is nice and normal that used to be our old normal well
1: my my phone broke over these holidays my daughter in the bath it was a long story um it was not good no. um but I was without a phone for five days and I was so much happier I was in like a really yeah, different place yeah. it was amazing you have to sort of like trust yeah, there's people so much to say like I'll be there at that yes. time and, I- and I'll actually be there it was like completely exactly happier. The there's days. so
0: much time in the day like it's so nice
1: <laughs> yeah definitely so I can imagine they're a lot happier and being outside and that sort of thing just working outside
0: the sunshine yeah, yeah it's it's great I'm I'm even happier there I love it <laughs> yeah
1: I can imagine um and making those connections there is brilliant and being able to help all those children so how many children to go to yeah. school altogether? together
0: um in the first school there are about 400 children the wow. second school has two hundred and something.
1: Oh, so huge schools!
0: <laughs> yeah, really yeah. big, really, really big. Yeah.
1: Wow! And do they go to school every day? Do they, or is it? All, yes, or
0: actually, we... yes, they go to school every day. Um, their their timings are to me extremely early, but I think it's because of how hot it gets okay. later in the day. So I think they go from like seven thirty to two thirty, something like yeah. that.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Yeah, but they all live really locally, and um, we have a free uh, primary school offer, as in for um, the president implemented that, so lots of children, no matter their background, are able to go to school, which is really, really nice, because uh, before, you'd have to pay school fees, no matter the type of school, and um, now they don't, and the government's supporting a bit more, so they get um, more resources, and yeah well, it's it's, it's they're, they're happy but I know obviously that because of, I've um, been teaching here I know that there can be lots more, so um, much more that they do. get yeah so
1: um so yeah. what happens when they leave primary school then is then it's paid school then is it after that
0: um I am not 100% sure I think I do believe secondary school is free now I think that's a new thing. I'm not 100% sure I need to check that, but I'm pretty sure it's free. University, you definitely have to pay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which is the same over here, isn't it? Wow, that's so interesting. Um, Oh, I'd love to go to one of those schools as well. That'd be amazing.
0: Oh, you are more than welcome to. Oh,
1: yeah, I'll have to speak to you after this call. I'd love to do that. That'd be brilliant. Um, Well, thank you so much. Have you got um, any other... Words of wisdom or things you'd like to share with the listeners about um, you know, multilingual children at such a young age in the early years sector. You got any sort of things that people should be looking at or things that you'd recommend?
0: Yep. Yep. I would um encourage if there are any listeners um outside of the UK that have language policies that are kind of discouraging children from speaking their home language. I know it's in an attempt to kind of be a part of the global world, but um, that does have a really negative impact on the child's kind of identity and the research actually shows that children should be um, hearing the language that their parents or even teachers are most confident in and then they will develop English better um, or whatever language better because they've they have a strong foundation in one language Um, and secondly I would just encourage any kind of professionals in the UK as well to look at if they are including languages from Black African countries, um, maybe Ghana, Nigeria, Congo, Ivory Coast. I know, I think we're really good because we do include um, Somali languages quite a bit, but um, just kind of thinking if the parent is speaking English to me, but they're from another country, they may have another language as well. And exploring that, encouraging that and promoting that in the classroom through displays or however um, a teacher sees fit.
1: Yeah, definitely. And being aware of that is really, really important, isn't it? Oh, well, thank you yeah. so much for being a brilliant guest today, Denise. I've learned so much from you today. And I'm sure the listeners have got so much out of today's episode too. Um, and I look forward to working with you hopefully in the future. Yes, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. This is fun. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 900,000 resources, and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL. Why not subscribe to our podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and RedCircle.com. You could also leave us a review. If you have any questions you'd like answering on our podcast, please get in touch on our social channels.